From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Atif Siddiqui is founder and CEO of Branch, a mobile-first platform that helps hourly employees grow financially. Hundreds of thousands of hourly employees use Branch every day. Branch has raised $10.4 million and is growing rapidly based here in the Twin Cities. Along the way, Atif has become a high-profile expert on the topics of employee satisfaction, financial wellness, and looking at how all of that engagement can help a company bottom line. So excited. We've had you in the magazine. And Atif, I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And I know that you're a California guy, and I'm so impressed that you're wearing a Minnesota Twins hat. I am. I have fully converted. So. Wow, that is huge. <laughs> yeah. So you came here to the Twin Cities to be part of Techstars, but right? That's I mean, correct, that's, yeah. Because why else would a Californian move to Minnesota uh, yeah. and bring his company along with him? Right. Um, but let's go back a little further. I, I I hear you talking and I've read you talking all the time about, you know, hourly employees and all that. But how does one decide to go into that? Did you grow up thinking about wage related platforms and fintech? What what was the what was the nexus of the idea? Nexus of the idea was um, I once worked in an hourly job. Um, you know, most, what was uh, it? I, I worked at the local mall in a place called T-Shirt Stop. Um, they sold. I would uh, frequent that location. They sold like punk rock T-shirts. I was really into punk rock. And then one day they had an opening. I was like, oh, I might as well apply here. Is this in high school? And this was in high school. Okay. And yeah. what mall was it? Um, it? I don't remember the name of the mall. It was in Riverside, California, okay. where I grew up. Um, and You know, when I was there, I dealt with a slew of challenges when it came to schedule management, communication. It was really a series of papers posted on a back wall of a employee break room. I had to navigate, you know, cardboard boxes from all the shipping um, to view very work critical information to me Mm -hmm. and specifically, you know, always looking for more hours or ways to earn more income, right? Um, And, you know, fast forward decades later, I was an entrepreneur in residence at Idealab. It's a big technology incubator in Pasadena, California. And while I was there, um, you know, tasked with kind of finding new opportunities in markets that I found interesting that overlapped with Idealab's thesis. And one of those opportunities was just the um, how mobile devices are now improving productivity at work. I talked to some colleagues that were still involved in retail and found nothing had changed in the way they interacted with their schedules, communication, found more shifts. It was still those pieces of paper on the back wall Hmm. of an employee break room. Mm -hmm. And I thought, there has to be a more efficient way to do this. And so, you know, spent some time walking up and down Colorado Boulevard, which is like a big avenue in Pasadena where there's hundreds of these different shops. And we just go in and talk to employees, talk to managers, and 
really confirmed that that was indeed the case where, you know, they weren't relying on any tools really built for the employee themselves. Mm -hmm. So I thought, let's make it really easy for an employee to pick up a shift that's an available, swap a shift if they need to um, from their mobile device. And a lot of these employees were bringing their device into work and using them. And we launched it as a free application just to gauge what, well, is this something that consumers want in the world? Um, is it something they need? And quick, who, who was the we in that? Who who did you launch it with uh, this lab? Uh, yeah, it was with Ideal Lab. Okay. Um, uh, you know, and when we launched it, the response was overwhelming. We saw uh, the application spread to tens of different thousands of locations in a very really? short amount of time. Yeah, I have this story where, you know, one employee, say, at Domino's Pizza downloaded it at Madison, Wisconsin, and 24 hours, their whole workplace was on. In about a week, we had about 400 dominoes on. In about four weeks, 20% of all dominoes in the U.S. were signed up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we definitely knew we tapped into a big, you know, consumer need and a nerve there. Does um, it? How does it work in terms of, d- does it have to come from the organization? Does, does dominoes or a manager have to say, okay, employees, we are switching on to branch, or can the employees start it? Yeah, the core idea was that, Employees can start this themselves truly bottom up, right? They were initially kind of coordinating their schedules themselves anyways via text message or Facebook groups. So we thought let's empower the employee with a technology built specifically for them without any corporate or employer approval. Um, We've added in workflows for managers, too, to get looped in to approve and reject some of these changes. But, yeah, it was truly bottoms up built for the employee first. That's amazing. Yeah. I want. I have a lot more questions about sure. that. But before we go further with the branch story, let's go back because we we had you selling T-shirts, and yeah. suddenly you've created this sure. you know life changing platform. What happened in the middle? Did you when you went to school? Were you thinking I want to go into business? Did you always have that entrepreneurial bug? Um, I did. Looking back at uh, you know my youth, my first entrepreneurial venture was renting out my Nintendo games to the neighborhood kids. Um, You know, that business was doing fairly well until some kids were a little late on the return. So I sent in the muscle, which was my mom at the time, to go (laughs) recoup uh, some of these games and figured, like, this isn't going to be a scalable business. Um, So, uh, but yeah, no, I was always fascinated um, with, you know, starting new things um, early on. Uh, you know, we were fortunate that, uh, you know, grew up in a fairly middle class household, but we always had the latest, greatest technology. Uh-huh. And so I grew up around, um, you know, a computer very early on and would always tinker with that, learn a little bit of programming on the side. So always had this knack for learning especially around technology. I knew you must have been one of those guys because you're wearing a hoodie. Okay. So right away, we know, right? That's a nice call out. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to help you like that. Um, so did you major in, were you, were you studying computer science or business or what did you major in? Yeah, so I major in economics and mathematics. Okay. Um, you know, really wanted to kind of broaden the scope of learning and use college as a 
background just to learn as much as possible in a wide array of you know different subjects. Um, Post grad, I found myself in a corporate career. Uh, you know, I got into television, finance, and production hmm. um, at Warner Brothers. Uh, quickly found out I was not cut for corporate life, um, and you know worked in and around startups, and then. On the side, you know, I took that opportunity to deepen my skills in technology, um, design, and so just taught myself on the side while I could. Um, but, you know, decided that I would make the jump into grad school to get my MBA to almost like a career transition. But you really use that time as uh, an opportunity to play around with different ideas. And I will say, like, if anybody's debating grad school is an expensive you know, journey. But however, you can, if you want to make a move into tech, you don't necessarily need to do that. But I did. Um, And during that time, yeah, played around with a couple of different ideas and actually launched a business, um, which was a freelance marketplace for students, connecting them with businesses that might need some type of skilled labor there. Hmm. And so the concept was, um, you know, as opposed to relying on a marketplace where you might have some offshore talent, these people were local, they were skilled, and you can tap into networks like alumni networks to hire kids that are reliable. Um, Supply side of the marketplace, great. Kids were always looking for making more money. Yep. Demand side, really tough to get repeatable business on the business side. But, you know, one of the interesting learnings there was that which we did carry over to branch was that like thinking about distribution um, and getting customers efficiently um, and building that into the product and some of those channels. We did raise a little bit of money for that company. So I also learned kind of the fundraising process. We hmm. raised from Comcast Ventures and Dream Adventures and actually took some time off of grad school to run that business. Wow. But ultimately, uh, couldn't build something sustainable us to get us to the next level. How long did it take you to realize this probably isn't going to scale? Um, probably within 12 months or so. So I took six months kind of building it while I was still at grad school, took six months off. And then, you know, couple of learnings there too was that you know really building a strong team around you um, is really fundamental especially early stages so it set you up for for branch it did um, yeah I think you know every past failure um, is just an opportunity to learn and get better and grow and um, we definitely incorporated some of the learnings there especially I mentioned on the distribution side where you know, one of the reasons we built Branch as an app for the employee that anybody can get started with and share it is to solve that challenge and problem to really get that spread and adoption. Right. right. Yeah. So the earliest iteration of Branch, of the software, did did you build it? Did yeah. Did you know how to do that? Right. So I was... I got really good at being able to hack together a product that I can then show to other people to help me continue to iterate and improve on it. So I thought that skill was very important because, you know, it's it's really powerful when someone can actually play with a product, feel it, as opposed to just an idea on sure. a piece of paper. Um, so I built, yeah, that first version of a prototype, so to speak, and um, was able to recruit other engineers from USC, where I went to grad school, and to join them. This is like what year? How long ago was this that you started Branch? Um, this was now in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so you had the right out of the gates, you've got success, you've got proof that, that people want it. What do you do then? I mean, that's pretty gratifying, I imagine. But then you got to figure out, OK, could you accommodate all of that interest and, and usage? And, and what did you do next? Yes. One of the key challenges we saw was that, you know, we were starting to get critical mass and at some fairly large employers target being one of them. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to figure out how do we now get this to scale across the entire organization or within an organization. Can I ask one question? I'm just trying to imagine if you're, so if I'm a target employee and I decide I want to use this, what good is that if my entire team isn't using it? Doesn't it have to be all or none? Yeah. So the more people that were on the application, obviously, but what would happen is that there were pockets of these employees that would trade shifts amongst each other. Ah, and okay. so they would join on board. And then we built some communication features in it so they didn't have to go to a text message or group me or rely on iMessage. They kind of had a communication channel all within one application. I see. Okay. So there were some hooks there for network effect. When in terms of the yeah the critical mass and adoption that we saw at these organizations, um, I really just started contacting them out of the blue saying, hey, there's a bunch of employees using our application. We want to know, is this a problem? Is this a thing? And Target um, said, yes, this is something that a problem we're looking to solve within the organization. How did you? Who did you call at Target? Did you just call up Brian Cornell? <laughs> no, I think we started with like the store manager, and they said, "Hey, you might want to talk to uh, HR ETL." HR ETL puts me in, you know, in front of somebody else, and just kind of worked our way up. But mm-hmm. truly, bottoms up, right? Leveraging our data that we had yep. to show from employee adoption and usage. Um, and when we contacted Target, we're like, here's tens of thousands of your employees using it. Here's a couple hundred managers you can talk to. They'll vouch for the program. And they said, I think you guys should apply to the Techstars Target Retail Accelerator ah. because um, this is an area, you know, improving employee productivity and communication and workflows within store locations are a big initiative for us. And so we applied, got in, and that's what brought us here to the Twin Cities. Did, were you familiar with the Techstars program? I was familiar with the Techstars program. I had some other friends, uh, founders, who went to city-specific programs, so they were more horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time I saw, heard of, like a you know a corporate partnership Techstars program. So pretty compelling. You've got Target interested. You uh, how how many employees did you have at this point? At that time, it was myself and two other engineers. Okay, yeah. so you come to Minneapolis, you set up, and and what happens? Are you working hand in hand with Target? What did you get out of that TechStars experience? I think what we got out of the experience for an entrepreneur, um, you know, working with a large organization or an enterprise is you know, a big black box. You don't know how to they operate, how decisions are made when it comes to technology, how they buy things. And so it really allowed us to peer inside that mm-hmm. this kind of black box and understand some of the workings of how the organization works. How does technology uh, initiatives get implemented? How do they get deployed? Um, how do you get technology to interact with all the existing technology they already have in place. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was really fundamental to us in understanding, yeah, how we can deploy this in an organization. Did it change your strategy or approach? It did. Um, 
I think one of the things we got really good at was understanding how to reduce the amount of friction to get this thing implemented into, you know, with existing technology. So we actually built some software that allowed us to do that really quickly. So we took down the time that it can get deployed from about two months down to two weeks, which was pretty big and didn't require a lot of IT resources on their end. Mm -hmm. So a little less risk and overhead. Um, The other thing I think it did was understand that each organization is a little different. So building the application in a way that allowed us to configure it to their specific needs really quickly. So when you're part of Techstars, obviously you're getting mentorship and insight. Are you also getting money? We are. So, you know, as part of the Techstars program, um, they give you some money to relocate and use, um, you know, for the early stages of a business. And really, that money is to try to figure out how to get to, you know, some level of product market fit, right, where there is some consumer demand that you're meeting and they're really extracting the product from you. And, um, to get you to the next stage, you know, ultimately it's the goal of tech stars is to make sure that your business is point that you can get to the next stage. So, and clearly that happened. You graduated in what was that? 2015? 2016. 16. Yeah. You finished with the tech stars program. And at that point, how big were you? Was there any thought of like going back to California? Or were you like in it at that point? You're wearing the twins hat. You're, you're a Minnesotan. <laughs> yeah. So after the program, one of the big questions I had was, you know, could we find talent to help the business grow? And quickly, even in the program, we saw that, it, yeah, the Twin Cities had a lot of great talent, especially in and around enterprise software, B2B software. So we found people that understood what it took to sell to a large organization and to a large company, how to implement technology in these companies, how to deploy and manage the relationships ongoing over time. And, you know, slowly that team of three went to five, went to 10. And at some point we're like, okay, I think, you know, this is going to be home now for a while. (laughs) The business continues to grow here. Um, You have how many employees now? Uh, We're at 45 now. And you continue to be able to to find the the talent you need. How have you found? It seems like you're pretty involved in the startup community here. How does it compare to what you've experienced on the coast? I think one of the things that's great about the community, and we saw this early on as well, was it's very tight knit. Um, you know, I participated my first year here in the Twin Cities Startup Week, and just looking at that level of growth over the last three years has been yeah. phenomenal. Um, and it's really, you know, the tech community here has just been able to get a lot more exposure over time. And I think we'll see that continue to grow as founders have more success here and they continue to reinvest back in the community. Um, how it compares to, you know, other markets, I will say that, you know, when it comes to uh, employee retention, um, it's, it's you know, in the Bay Area here, founders, you know, they're constantly having this continual churn where they need to find new and they spend a lot of resources getting employees in and then they, you know, those employees bounce to another hot startup in the mm-hmm. region. And so we've been fortunate where, um, you know, we've been able to retain a lot of our hmm. employees over time too. But do you think that's that speaks to your company culture or do you think... 
there aren't as many startups to bounce uh, to if you're in the Twin Cities. Um, there might not be a lot of startups, but there are a lot of opportunities, right, within Fortune 500 companies yeah. located here. Um, yeah, I think a little bit it has to do with, um, you know, startups like ourselves, just people understanding that it's a viable career opportunity and a path for growth. And since I've been here, I'm continuing to see that just continue to grow. Yeah. yeah. Um, at this point, how does does Branch get deployed? Is it still from the employees on up, or are you selling this to larger retailers or larger corporations? Um, we we have both models still. So we still have our direct-to-consumer model where any employee can download the application and get started right away. Still for free? Still for free. Um, and we also have a B2B version, which obviously has a lot of enhanced functionalities working with all the systems of record. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, a more frictionless kind of experience for the employee. And so we're... Is continue- that your focus? Um, you know, we we've... Our focus has always been about how do we make the lives of hourly workers better. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as of late, too, you know, we've been able to dive more into how do we improve their lives financially. And I could talk a little bit how we got there. Um, You know, so I mentioned we started with this idea initially of helping employees pick up more shifts so they can earn additional income. Um, What we found out was that the reason they need to earn additional income is because their schedules fluctuate on a week-to-week basis. It was very variable. And that, in turn, made it really tough for them to plan out their lives on a week-to-week basis because their income was very variable. Um, You know, the deeper we started diving into the problem, we found what a lot of these employees were doing were either borrowing money from a family or friend. Uh, They were getting hit with an overdraft fee for $35. Um, in some cases, they were relying on more predatory measures, like a payday loan to make ends meet between paychecks. And we thought like, wow, um, you know, this shouldn't be the case. And this is, you know, there's fun- something fundamentally broken with the traditional financial institutions out there. Yeah. We looked at the data that we had on the employee, which is when they showed up to work, how much they made. And so last year, and this crazy idea of like, suppose we gave these employees a small amount of money that they needed ahead of their paycheck um, for any unexpected expenses. Could be you a being branch. You're, Us you're, being branch, okay. yeah. And so we did this experiment, and we said, hey, come payday, the employee will just ask the employee to pay us back from their paycheck. And that took off. Um, I think within a very short amount of time, three months, we were far surpassing any rates of growth we've seen in the past three years. Hmm. And so we knew we were on to something there. And, the, you know, the deeper we got into it, as I mentioned, we really aligned ourselves now, like really rethinking, reimagining the financial services for hourly employees okay. and taking this holistic view of tying that into their work lives and, you know, being able to pick up more shifts and earn more income. So in a way, you're functioning kind of like a payday, dare I say? I mean, if you're kind of advancing Money so, to employees? Yeah. So the big difference, I think, is the one is that there's no interest whatsoever. Okay. Um, you know, we're also 
advancing sort of a portion of a paycheck of wages that they've already earned. Mm -hmm. And so we look at this as a way for employees to deal with some of this financial instability and financial stress that they deal with on a week-to-week basis. You know, some of the some of the stats that we found um, just of these employees' financial lives are, you know, in addition to the income volatility, the vast majority of them had little or no access to credit, so they relied on their debit card or cash for most of their purchases. And the more striking one was, um, you know, 40% had $0 saved, Hmm. um, 75% had less than $500. So any unexpected expense really derailed kind of their personal and their work lives, um, having to make those ends meet. Very stressful. Very stressful, yeah. And and so I know you also have some stats, interesting stats about happiness and, and the, the, the predictability and knowing your schedule and knowing that you have that little cushion, just making people feel so much better and then, of course, feel more engaged in their work, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, consistently we hear that what employees are looking for are is more predictability in their schedule. Um, as well as more flexibility. Um, So that means, and I think this has to do with a little bit of like changing consumer demand. Um, If you look at an on-demand job, for example, you can make money, pick up a shift with Uber at any time on your own time. And so those demands are really driving these consumers, especially Gen Z millennial consumers, to wanting this from their, you know, workplace. And so we're able to facilitate that with Branch. What kind of reaction are you getting from big businesses? How are do they does this resonate with them? Yeah, so what's going on with big businesses, especially in today's labor market, um, you know, unemployment all time low. It's a we're having a really tough time one attracting hourly talent into the organization. Um, and when they do attract them there, the vast majority of them are seeing anywhere from 60% to 150% turnover annually. So they're continuously churning through these employees, having to hire new employees. And, you know, the average cost to hire a new employee, um, around $2,500 when you factor in recruiting, onboarding, training. And so anything they can do to kind of slow down that churn um, goes a long way to their bottom line. And so they're looking for new initiatives and novel ways to make their employees happy and retain them. So they're interested in investing in a platform like exactly. yours. Exactly. So are you making money? Is Branch profitable at this point? <laughs> um, we're investing into growth. Um, we are making money and we're continuing to grow, I think, you know, is a testament to kind of the company growth and the employees we have. And we're continuously kind of improving the application, too, to meet demands from our both employers and employees. It's been interesting talking to, to founders, the range of those who paid themselves right from the beginning, those who barely started a week ago. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Have you Has, has Branch been a, a salary for you from the start, or how, how have you viewed this? Oh, not from the start, but uh, not at all. I mean, when I looked at, you know, when I started the company out of um, business school and looking at, you know, some of my colleagues from 
business school with signing pretty big offers. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to Idea Lab and work on this, you know, taking no salary for a period of time. Um, yeah, it's definitely a challenge and sacrifice, but hopefully, you know, that sacrifice will pay off. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have that yes. mindset that you're in it for the sure. for the long haul. Yeah. Um, how do you divide your time these days? What are what's a, what's a typical day for you? Podcasting, running around. <laughs> what what are you generally doing? Yeah, a lot of it um, is definitely you know getting the message out with branch. Um, with different stakeholders. Um, I'm involved in the sales process from time to time. A lot of my time these days is involved in recruiting. And so making sure we have the right leaders in place and those teams are functioning well. Um, personally, I have a two-month-old daughter and a two-year-old son. So that, so you're takes, up, that <laughs> takes up a lot of time. Got really good at time management, uh-huh. um, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> what part of the business do you enjoy the most? Um, I think I've always been sort of a, obsessed with sort of the consumer experience and product. So I find myself still gravitating towards, um, you know, ways we can make that experience better for consumers and um, specifically in the product. What would you consider true success for, for Branch? Do you have benchmarks in your, in your head of where you want to get or, or what, what you would like this to, to become? Um, ultimately, you know, we measure success on a, obviously like a day-to-day basis, weekly, quarterly. Um, but in general, I think way we look at branches, if we can help employees continue to grow their daily account balance over time, after they download the application, that's really success for our team and our kind of North Star and what guides us. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to others who, you know, have that idea or who are, you know, in their bedrooms, in their hoodies, imagining starting <laughs> something and coding and all of that? What What would you say? What are, what's, the, what's the best thing to do? Um, I would say the best thing is really to just start shipping product. Right. Start building and getting it out there and getting feedback and learning from customers and constantly iterating to make it better. Right. Yeah. There is no substitute for actually building product and learning from customers and hearing what they have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats. Branch is obviously doing great. Thank I'm you. sure we will see more headlines about the company in the coming months and years. Atif, we're glad you decided to stay in the Twin Cities. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Um, stick around. We're going to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Well, with the exception of a brief corporate stint, Atif basically knew he was going to be an entrepreneur from the time he was young. He's really a a, a more classic startup guy, hoodie and all, than we've had on the show before. Where do entrepreneurial ideas come from? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Associate Professor John McVeigh is an expert in entrepreneurial strategy. What did you take away from listening to a tiff and kind of knowing that he was going to do a business? It was just a matter of figuring out what the business was going to be. Well, this is a fabulous story um, that really reminds me of, of a huge change in emphasis in entrepreneurship that we've seen in the last few years uh, and a huge step forward, I think. You know, traditionally, we talked about where do ideas come from and how do new ideas come into the marketplace? And we used a, a sort of a traditional way of thinking, which was sort of aim, ready, fire. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs sit and they go, what mountain am I going to climb? I spend a bit of time thinking about it. Then I aim, ready, 
I do a lot of research, a lot of research plan, talk to experts, go to libraries, collect data, write a huge business plan. The business plan includes checkpoints and goals, and then fire. I go into execution mode. And at this point, it's just execute, execute, execute. We succeed. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like a really good idea. It's logical. It's not a random process. Um, the only problem with it, when we, what we discovered was when we talked to real-life entrepreneurs, very few entrepreneurs operated this way. Hmm. It turns out it's a really good way. There are people who operate this way. NASA did a great job operating this way to go to the moon. But that was a very stable, long-term project with a singular goal that was clear from the start. The problem is most entrepreneurs don't have a goal. They say, hey, I want to do something in the area of helping hourly employees. Right. I don't know what, but I want to do something cool there. Or I want to make a really cool ice popsicle, but I don't <laughs> know how. And the, the details of how they're going to do that have to emerge. So instead of doing aim, ready, fire, what real entrepreneurs tend to do is fire, ready, aim. Hmm. Fire is, I've got an initial idea. It's not totally random. I've an idea of something I want to do, but I'm just going to jump off the cliff and try it. And then I'm going to try it, and I'm going to see if one person in the world likes that. If that one person likes it, I'm going to see if a second person likes it. If they need a change, then I modify, or in the current vernacular, I pivot. Right. Uh, and, you know, I pivot into a, different, a, a slightly different version, and then I go pivot again. And I try. it's a, a giant process of trial, error, learn. Trial, error, learn. Trial, error, learn. That's not random. But it's different than a planning process. And out of that process, we gain momentum. And at some point, we get a big break. We get a big client, and we've actually got a business. And then we say, what, aim? Aim is where we end up. And we often end up in a place different than we would ever have intended before we started this process of trial, error, learn. So if you think of Branch, I mean, you know, it's a fantastic story where he, he starts off talking about his, you know, his T-shirt business and how that initially got him some ideas. And then in his, in his second business, he learned a great deal about distribution, even though he found out that that business would, would not scale. Right. He found a great deal about the importance of distributing and thinking about how customers might adopt a new process. And then he could put together those ideas that he learned from selling t-shirts, from, uh, you know, from learning about the distribution in the marketplace and apply them to a third idea. Mm -hmm. And it turned off that idea had legs and took off. But maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe it could be the fourth idea or the fifth idea. Sure. So, so, so learn from the failures. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a big one. And and be open to to change. Don't be so set in your one idea that you're not seeing how the market's reacting. Are you also saying, Professor McVeigh, that we don't need to write out a business plan? <laughs> I certainly think we've changed the emphasis. And in our classes, you know, maybe 20 years ago, we would have spent 20% of the idea think, or time thinking about an idea. And then 80% of the time writing a really, really long business plan. And I think rightly now we have inverted that. And we spend 80% of our time exploring ideas, trying to turn an okay idea into a great idea through trial and error. And only at the end spending 20% of the time documenting that into a plan because we know the plan's got to change. So no, we're not saying don't plan, but we're saying don't spend time planning when you know that what you really should be doing is some trial and error. And what I love about his story is, you know, it, think about the activities you would do under AIM Ready Fire. Most of your activities are quiet research, talking to experts. But on the Fire Ready AIM model, most of your time is actually spent making stuff, making a product, talking to customers, making mistakes, 
learning from those mistakes. It's, it's not just that it's a mentality. You spend your time as an entrepreneur on an entirely different set of activities, and they're much more outward focused towards the customer, and they're much more focused about trying stuff and figuring out the errors afterwards. I like it. Fire, ready, aim. Absolutely. Okay, let's all go do that. Thank you so much, John McVeigh, and thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts and take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. By All Means.